Hi, and thanks for downloading the Los Angeles Podcast of Anaheim, a semi-daily audio blog of all things Angels baseball. My name is David, and before we get to the main event, I need to talk about the podcast and an ode to Jared Weaver. When I first started this project, I had a basic idea of what a podcast consisted of. You know, I got a microphone, I got a website, and I started doing some research. What I didn't realize was first how much time I'd be spending editing audio and having to listen to my own voice. Everybody hates their own voice, and you really learn to hate it when you start listening to it all the time. Another thing I've realized is that when you're speaking off the cuff, the way that I want to do the podcast, a lot of times you stumble all over yourself. You slur your words. You don't quite say what you want to say. That's kind of a big deal for a podcast. Learning to speak again, learning to crystallize my thoughts again. It's been a real learning experience and it's been a lot of fun. Very challenging, but a lot of fun. The technical stuff has also been a challenge. The editing of the audio, having to deal with iTunes and Stitcher, getting all the subscription services up, maintaining the website, maintaining the audio. All of that demands a lot more than I expected, which actually makes me feel pretty great. It's a challenge unlike anything I've ever experienced before, and I'm really excited. There's nothing like being completely out of your comfort zone to make you find a whole new comfort zone. In doing the editing and the preparation and working on the website and doing all the paperwork, the podcast has been asking me to do things that I didn't even know I had to be prepared for. Now that it's underway, I suddenly have a hundred ideas of what I want to do in the future. I hope the people who follow the podcast will enjoy what I'm doing because I'm really enjoying doing it. Now, true confessions aside, on to Angels Baseball and an ode to Jared Weaver. Weaver signed a contract with the San Diego Padres today and tweeted out a heartfelt thank you to Angel fans. He pitched 11 years with the Angels. He's second all-time in franchise wins with 150, second all-time in starts, third all-time in innings, third all-time in strikeouts. He... He was, he was fifth in Cy Young voting in 2010. Between 2010 and 2012, between 2010, between 2010 and two, between 2010 and 2012, he had between two from 2000 between 2009 and 2014, he won 96 games. He had Cy Young. He was fifth in. He was fifth in Cy Young voting in 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 ten. He was fifth in Cy Young voting in two thousand ten. He was second in two thousand eleven. He won twenty games and was Cy. He won twenty games and was third in Cy Young voting in two thousand twelve. A terrific pitcher. He was great for the Angels. The irony in him going to put. The irony in him going to San Diego now is that the Padres passed him up in the night. The irony in him signing with San Diego now is that way back in, was it 2004? In the 2004 draft, San Diego had a chance to pick him first and went with Matt Bush instead. Weaver was asking for a lot of money at the time, 
and he fell all the way down to the angels uh i think it was the 12th 13th pick 12th pick 12th pick and it just became a case of local boy makes good from long beach state the angels and what i really appreciated was that he wanted to stay with the angels when he reached free agency he had a chance to go elsewhere he had a chance to make more money elsewhere and he chose to stay in Anaheim. He has some terrific seasons. Won 20 one season, won 18 two other seasons. I really thought with Peter Borges and Trout behind him that he would get more Cy Young consideration, but he was never a real hard thrower. Once that fastball started to slip, he couldn't set up his curve and change up in the same way. And the last couple of seasons, you can tell, he just couldn't get away with any mistakes. But he was always a terrific competitor, and we will miss him. I will miss him as an angel. And I'm hoping that going down to San Diego, that the big outfield in Petco is going to help him out. Whatever happens, I wish him well, and I know a lot of angel fans are going to feel the same way I do. There are a few other spring training stories, but we'll get to that next week. For today, we're looking at the minor league system. Dave DeFridis from 2080 Baseball was kind enough to join me. The most exciting prospects, the farm system in general, and he was able to give some insight into how Billy Epler, who he worked with in New York, approaches organization building. Dave is great. He brings a lot of information, and I hope you guys really enjoyed the interview. I will say one thing, though. In doing the research for the interview, I realized only during the interview that I had never said Matt Tice's name out loud, so... So when I mispronounce it, just let it go. Anyways, here's the interview. I am talking now with Dave DeFridis from 2080 Baseball. These guys are fantastic prospect hounds. I fell in love with their site the first time I saw it. And <laughs> with Dave, it is especially useful because you used to work with uh, Angel GM Billy Epler. Uh, I did. I did, yes. I spent a, spent a few years with him in New York, and uh, it was a great experience. So this, I'm going to ask you to read his mind uh, as... <laughs> as we go on here but let's start off first with just talking in general terms about the the angel farm system over the last few years they've had a sort of a rough going they've been trying to win now they've traded away anything that was a prospect for something to try and push the team over the edge and that hasn't really worked but it has emptied out the farm system now um with Epler in having a couple drafts under his belt, what do you see is uh, on the horizon for the Angels now? Well, I think uh, you know this is a situation that he's probably pretty comfortable with because I think he had a lot of similarities in New York. Uh, when I was there, they had a you know a number of you know significant contracts that were aging or injured players, and they had a beleaguered minor league system as well. And really, we're tasked with winning now and rebuilding at the same time because of their market and their, you know, the 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 size of their fan base. And so, you know, a lot of the same things that he had to do in New York, I think, would play really well here in Anaheim. And while it may look bleak, you know, on the surface, I think they already have a number of good young assets in the system. I think their first draft was strong, and I think he's probably lined up to to have another really good one. There's a lot of really good young talent in this next draft coming up. And, you know, I think they do have some big contracts on the books, but they've also got arguably the best player in baseball in center field. Yeah, I've heard of that guy, yeah. Yeah, you might have heard of him. And, uh, you know, I, I think he's, and he's controlled for a number of years still, 
And, uh, you know, if they have a couple things click at the big league level, you know, they could, they could surprise some people. But that's not to say that it's going to be an easy task by any means. But I think he's, at the very least, got the outline and kind of a game plan to go with on how to, how to rebuild things here, just based on what I saw him do in New York. Well, that's the kind of optimism about a farm system that no one's had for a few years now. <clears throat> you guys talked on your site about a couple of the comers uh, from the last couple of drafts. The two big ones that everyone seems to be looking at are Jemai Jones and uh, Matt Thais. Uh Yeah, I, I really like Jones. You know, I really a great athlete that can play in the middle of the field. I love outfielders that can throw. And, you know, you're talking about a guy that's going to make a lot of contact and, and hit a lot of doubles for you. You know, I think the home runs are nice. And, you know, I think he'll probably run into, you know, more than his fair share. But, you know, I think you're looking at a guy that's going to do damage to the gaps and be able to stretch a single to a double, stretch a double to a triple and, and really pressure the defense. You know, anytime you see a guy like that, that's got, a, you know, a couple of plus tools, you know, it's you, you get excited. You know, there, there's some proximity risk with him. You know, he's 19 years old. Right. He's got a ways to go. Um, but you're talking about a guy that's going to, you know, see increasing value over the next couple seasons, uh, and and you know something to be excited about. And so if you're if if he shows up in Anaheim and impacts the roster that way, then great, you know. But he's also as his value goes up, so does his value on the market and to other organizations. And if uh, the Angels expedite things a little bit and need an asset to move to bring back a contributor on the 25 man roster, you know, this is a guy that could could do it that way. So. You know, a couple different ways that that he has value for the club, and then you know, you look at uh, Matt Tice, and obviously they love the bat. You know, you don't draft a catcher that high and then move him right away, right. and uh, and to a corner no less. And so, you know, I I like how how the swing plays. I think he's a tremendous athlete, and still, while the body isn't super projectable, still has room to get stronger. I think there's a little bit of baby fat on the frame. You know, he'll be able to firm up a little bit and really you should add a little bit more power. But I think the hit tool is what they really like. For me, I, you know, I'll take a, a plus hit tool with average power, you know, over like the plus power guys with the blow average hit tool. You know, I think I think the hit tool leads to a little more consistent impact in the middle of that lineup. And, you know, a lot of times these young guys, you'll the power will develop a little bit later. And damage to the gaps, I think, is, uh, is just as useful as, uh, you know, a guy that hits 40 home runs but only hits 230. He's so. only he's only going to be 22 coming in, and there's really not a lot blocking him upstairs. I mean, C.J. Crone is C.J. Crone, and Pujols is old and getting older. <laughs> yeah. Uh, and and that that's a subject for another day. But for Tice, um, could we be looking at him as soon as what next year uh next year 2018 uh could be you know i think he probably goes to high a this year and will hit his way to double a most likely so yeah you could be looking at uh at a 2018 debut at some point i think they're you know it's going to depend on on how well he does this year but there's not really a ton of incentive to rush him i think the move to first base was in effect their effort to expedite his progression and and yeah i don't think there's much going to that's going to block him uh you know Pujols, while he still wants to play first i think he, and he can still handle it when he's healthy but is at the point in his career where he's going to need somebody to spell him and you know ty's going back and forth between dh and first base uh you know it, it could be it could be a nice fit and yeah i don't see too much uh impediment there 
a lot of the fan sites have Jones. There are whispers of people saying, you know, he's Mike Trout Jr., which might be a bit much. I don't think there's that guy exists. But you have him compared to AJ Pollock, who's when he's healthy is terrific. <laughs> yeah, I think the the Mike Trout uh, Mike Trout comparison. I hadn't heard that, but uh, you know, I guess that's people will want to think that. But uh, yeah, that's not really fair <laughs> to the right. player. I don't think. No, but, well, uh, he's not even twenty, but he's a terrific athlete. Yeah, yeah, but I, I guess it speaks more to the athleticism and uh, and the way he's the way he's shown already you know, in his, his short pro career. You know, I think uh, when I was thinking of, of Pollock, I was thinking of a guy that, you know, is, is a line drive hitter that has power, and the power plays more uh, to the gaps than it does to than it does for over-the-fence power. And so, right. you know, and, and a guy that's going to play in the middle of the field as well. And, you know, there's neither one of those guys has, a, you know, a double-plus tool. They're not roll sevens or anything or like that, but they're really good impact players that, you know, my opinion are a little bit underrated. I just saw some similarities in the tool set there. So yeah, that's you know, that's kinda kinda where I saw it. I think, you know, Jones would have to do a lot more before you start talking right. about him in the same conversation as Trout. When Tice was moved when he was drafted, they were almost immediately saying he was gonna play first base. And the first thing I thought was that they wanted him there partly because he could hit, mostly because he could he could hit but also because they had the first-round draft pick from the year before playing catcher. Um, Tyler Ward had a nice first season and then not so much last year. Um, what can you tell us about him? You know, I, he makes, makes nice contact, uh, but I just wonder how much damage he's going to be able to do you know, in order to really maintain the on-base percentage and, and be the guy that's the offensive-oriented catcher. You know, the, he's got a, a real pronounced inside-out stroke where he's trying to shoot the ball at the middle and to right center, but there's just not a there's not a ton of juice there. You know, at age he's 22 in high A, like that's that's about on on pace. But uh, you know, I don't think they're going to see the type of damage out of his bat that that maybe people thought initially. Uh, and then defensively. You know, I think he's got an above-average arm, but the pass balls were he put up a big number there, and I think he was a little slow going uh, going side to side. So not a not a slam dunk either way, defensively or with the bat, but enough to where you know this this could be a guy that sticks on the twenty-five man roster. But as far as an impact at that position, I'm I'm not not sure. The guy that you did like out of that draft that I hadn't actually heard of as being a real prospect was David Fletcher, but you seem to really like him. Uh, yeah, I do. I think that uh, that infield five role, the guy that can really move all over the infield and uh, give you a little bit with the bat, is a really important one for a big league roster. And uh, you know that was something that that Billy Epler and Steve Martone really tried to hammer home with us in New York was finding those types of guys because. You know, defensive versatility is kind of the name of the game. You know, if you've got a guy that can pressure the defense with his legs on the bases, then uh, you're talking about somebody that is going to get a number of at-bats and uh, could act as a catalyst. Is he going to hit enough to maybe play like a third base, a corner position? Uh, not on a regular basis. I don't know that he profiles there. I think, you know, if he plays there, you know, here and there, spelling somebody, uh, then I think that's okay. But, I, you know, mainly... The glove work you're looking at his ability to play short is uh is where he adds a ton of value right i'm looking at the big team uh and you have simmons at short and you have espinoza at second base at least for the next couple of years 
uh, and then you have Valbuena. Uh, Fletcher is going to have chances because somebody's going to get hurt. But I am, right. I am very curious because a lot of people are looking at him and they think because he's a little guy, they're thinking David Eckstein and hoping for the golden days of uh, the early 2000s. Yeah, I mean, I guess you, you know, just because of the organization, that's what you want to think of. I, right. I think I think Fletcher's got a little bit more run than Eckstein had and, and definitely more arm strength. And so I think he, the athleticism there and the tools are maybe a little better. I, you know, it's tough to compare really anybody to Eckstein because of his, you know, the way he delivered in the clutch, you know, right. and uh, the role that he played on those uh, – those winning angels clubs, you know, if you want to look at the guy and, and say that he fills the same kind of, uh, criteria, then yeah, I think you could say that. But as far as, are they going to be the same guy? I think that's tough. That's a tough comparison to make, uh, just because of what Eckstein was able to, to accomplish. So, yeah, but, no, uh, no but these guys there. are nice to have, you know, I think, you know, uh, Billy wanting to go out and get, uh, Cliff Pennington and Espinoza, uh, and Valbuena, you're talking about other guys that, kind of fit that role as well but have strength in different areas and so you know the more versatility you have you know the better off you're going to be and i you know they didn't have that last year and when those injuries showed up you know they weren't really able to fill those spots yeah depth has always been a has been a problem lately for the team last year it was disastrous especially in the bullpen this year they've got a lot of a lot of sort of average arms the one guy that they have in the minors that might be able to come up soon is Kenya Middleton. And a lot of people are really excited about him. Yeah, as they should be. I mean, the guy's got an electric arm, you know, mid to, mid to upper 90s with the fastball and, uh, you know, a chance for a swing and miss slider. I think it's just going to be, you know, how consistent can he be? And it, it looks like the move out of the rotation into the bullpen full time really, really suits him. He took to it this past year and jumped a number of levels. And you see him in big league camp, I believe. Right. And, yes. uh, you know, he could be a guy that that slots in there. I, I doubt they're going to try and throw him into the closer role right away. But you're talking about a guy that could pitch leverage innings towards the end of the game and, you know, and really have an impact. I, you know, that the way Sean Kelly did in New York, you know, and the, what he has done for the Nationals. I mean, you're talking about a guy that can come in with, you know, feel with two pitches and, uh you know, and close the door fairly quickly. Between Bedrosian, let's assuming Cam Bedrosian comes back, is healthy and pitches well, and they have Middleton coming up, that's a that'd be a strong one too. When do you think Middleton would be able to actually step in and be a consistent contributor? Assuming he's able to find the strike zone on a regular basis. Uh, you know, it's uh, I would I would have to assume that even if he comes out and really wows people in big league camp that he is going to be ticketed from some more triple a time uh to start the year if he has a good start there i would say early this season uh is not out of the realm of possibility but you know with with the reliever you know there's not it's kind of this is his stuff he's this is what he is and you know unless you're really waiting on something to develop or him to fix any kind of glaring issues then there's not not a ton of reason to to wait around and so if i would think if he's pitching well in triple a early in the year and as soon as they have an opening i would think that he'd be first or second in line to come up the angel rotation last year just totally fell apart because of injuries uh, andrew heaney goes down nick tropiano goes down garrett richards goes down and then uh, shoemaker gets hit in the head yeah there's a there wasn't a lot of depth coming back Nate Smith has been 
in the organization for a pretty good while now. All along the way, he's always been regarded sort of as a sort of middling lefty. But he's had success. Is that something we can, can we actually look at him as a fifth starter, long man type? Uh, you know, with this club, it's, I would think that he would get an opportunity to do something like that. But, you know, I think the high contact rates and kind of the lack of matchup stuff is going to make it hard for him to really consistently turn over, uh, turn over lineups. So I think you're looking at, you know, I think you're looking at if he comes in, he does that, he pitches in that swing man role, but... I think you know if he's in that five spot in the rotation. I think you're looking to upgrade. You know, if he's in the four spot, I think you're definitely looking to upgrade. And then if he is in the bullpen, I think he's maybe your second lefty that can come in and, and work a couple different innings. But I but I'm not sure that the that the contact rates are really conducive to him pitching in leverage spots. The organization's been over the last couple of years really drafting young. They've been going after high school guys with a lot of high ceilings and athleticism, as opposed to college guys. So like Brandon Marsh, Jones, uh, Chris Rodriguez. This general Noni Williams. These uh, this general direction of the farm system has been pretty different from what it was in the past when they were trying to get college guys very quickly. I guess the, my question is that. A lot of these guys are going to take four or five years to get to the big leagues, if they get to the big leagues at all. For an organization trying to turn the farm system around, how how is this going to work for them? Is Are they going to be trading a lot of these guys away? What's the likelihood that you know high schoolers turn out to be big leaguers? Anytime you... you have a guy that's far away, the proximity risk you know is significant, but I th- you know you have to have those that young talent there to really fill out the pipeline all the way all the way through and I, you know, I don't know that you know whether or not you're going to trade a guy I think depends on how your big league club is doing and what your overall you know vision and strategy uh, is going to be and so to say that uh, they're going to draft young so they can trade him later I'm not sure that that's really what they're thinking I would say that they're going to lean on their player development staff I think that's a that's a big area that uh that I know Epler and Martone really value and they're going to make sure that they bring on the right people and, and have uh, a lot of value in that area. And, you know, I think it's in the draft, it's drafting guys that have tools that have upside that you can project a little bit of, uh, you can project some improvement with that, uh, you know, ultimately what you is what you go after. And I think that's kind of what you're seeing or what you saw here with their first draft. The organization, from a farm standpoint, has been down for a long time, but you seem to be a lot more optimistic about them than most people are. <laughs> well, I mean, we're we're in the middle, you know, we're breaking down every organization. And, you know, to be honest, this it's not it's not our favorite. No. <laughs> but uh you know, it's they have they have players that can do different things. You know, they obviously have their holes but everybody does. And, you know, I, there, I guess more, I'm more optimistic because of the guys that I see now running the show and the impact that I think they will have and, and what I saw them do elsewhere. And I think with, uh, with these organizations, you can see things turn around really quickly. You know, we just saw the White Sox were one of the worst organizations in baseball, uh, you know, minor league wise, less than 12 months ago. And now, you know, from December 
till now, you know, less than six months ago. So now you look from December to now, you're talking about them as one of the better minor league systems and, you know, a potential contender next year. So, you know, that's a, that's a really quick turnaround with a couple deft moves and, uh, you know, there you go. So it's, it helped that they had Chris Sale to trade, right. you know, obviously. And, uh, but I think there's ways to do it in Anaheim without trading uh, Trout, which is what everybody wants to say to do because they say that, then, you know, that seems to be the, the easiest answer, right? But the people, um, the people who are saying that, none of them actually live or root for, you know, the Anaheim Angels or the Los Angeles <laughs> Angels of Anaheim. Yeah. Well, that's Tr- just, I mean, I think that's just the normal reaction, right? Right. Is get your best asset and move him for what you can get. But I like, are you really going to be able to recoup the the value that Mike brings to your franchise? I don't think that's possible. You know, and I'm talking right? about, yeah, I mean, I, it's, I mean, maybe it is, I guess, but you're talking about a guy that he's, he is controlled for a while, but he's about to get really expensive. And so there's some clubs that aren't, that have a lot of prospect wealth, but are not going to be able to afford that type of contract. So, and I don't, and I don't see the angels picking up any of that money to move him somewhere. And so they're a little bit limited in that respect. And then on top of that, you're talking about, you know, premier bat that has a ripple effect throughout the lineup. And if you take him out of that lineup, you got to replace him with somebody and whoever that is, you know, unless it's Barry Bonds is probably not going to be able to impact the at bat before him and the at bat after him the way trout can right now. Does that make sense? Yeah, it absolutely makes sense. I've tried to stay away from Mike Trout trade scenarios because I don't think they're realistic. But it does seem to be something that a lot of people outside of Los Angeles, outside of Anaheim, really want to talk about. Because they don't want to see him go another four, five, six years without making the playoff. Yeah, I guess. You know, you, you, don't, you don't want to see that. Uh, we saw it for how long with Griffey, you know? Right. And, and guys. So, I mean, it happens. But I think any team is probably going to have a better chance of winning with Trout than without him. And so, uh, so this is this is where I'm going to ask you to start reading minds. Um, <laughs> okay, Artie Moreno's been pretty aggressive in spending money to try and win now, to try and buy players to fill out around Trout and Pujols to try to fit in that window. Right now, like Trout's controlled until 2020. In my mind, I have I have August 2020 as being the window for the Angels to be a truly competitive team. Given the farm system the way it is now and the direction that Epler is going, what would your prognosis be? What would you think would be the best way to try and make the Angels into that competitive team around Trout before you have to seriously consider trading them? Well, I think you have to do it through the draft and through international signings. And I think if you're able to, you're able to keep that kind of, that influx of talent coming into your system and you rely on your player development people, then you're going to have that part of the pipeline secure. And then another way to, to do it would be, you know, in, with the market that they have would be similar to what uh, Billy did in New York with the Andrew Miller signing is identifying and targeting key free agents that aren't, you know, Bryce Harper or Manny Machado free agents, but you know, guys that are kind of in the middle that you may have to spend some money on, but are going to have a really high resale value. And so, you know, that was, they they saw in New York how the direction uh, relief pitching was going and how expensive that was going to be. And 
they went out and they made sure to lock up Miller, which at the time seemed like a lot of money for a guy that was, I guess, relatively unproven. I think he'd had maybe the two years that were kind of trending in the direction that he ended up going ultimately. But finding those guys that are going to come on, contribute, help you win at the current time. And then, uh, you know, if you fall out of it, now you still have a guy that you can go flip for a number of upper-level prospects. You know, who those guys are going to be, I'm not sure, but I think identifying those types of moves is probably something that they're going to continue to do. Dave, pimp your podcast. That's right. Uh, Defensive Indifference, uh, 2080 podcast. We're relatively new. We have, uh, you know, we're working our way through our organizational audits. And uh, we, you know, we're trying to get one out each week. We're a pretty deep dive podcast. Goes for about a, you know, hour plus each time. But uh, you know, we're having a lot of fun with it. It's uh, it's our first time doing something like this, and so uh, so we uh, we really like it. I appreciate you uh, you following us, David, and uh, you know, allowing us to come on here and, and plug our product. <laughs> it's it is it's a great read. I've actually gone I've listened to every podcast. I've gone through every organizational audit. And it's a lot of fun because you're we're looking at a lot of names that, you know, we may not see again for a while. But it's a lot of fun to follow these guys and it's a lot of fun to have you guys give the kind of uh, information that you do. Thank you for doing this with me, Dave. Oh, of course. No, it's uh, I, we appreciate it and we look forward to having you uh having you on with us here before too long. And, uh, you know, hopefully we keep this thing rolling and jump back on your show. And, you know, you do a great job. And this, uh, I'm sure the, the people of Southern California appreciate it. But, uh, but this is a nice project and, uh, you know, definitely something that we're going to, you know, reference to, uh, to our 2080 listeners. Thanks. I really appreciate it. And hopefully... No, really, really enjoyed it. Thanks yeah. for having me on. Hopefully we'll talk to you soon. Yeah, sounds good. That was Dave DeFreitas from 2080 Baseball. Dave was really generous with his time. We talked for a long while after I stopped recording, and we talked a lot more about Billy Epler. Dave, and a lot of it I think is from his own personal experience, looks at Epler and sees a man who really understands how to build a sustainable system that can consistently feed the Major League team. It's been a while since Angel fans have been able to read anything good about the farm system, so between Tyson Jones and a few of the prospects, and that Billy Epler seems like somebody who is into building systems that are meant to last instead of just trying to squeeze one big bang out of the major league team. I think that's really good news for the Angels, especially given the the recent track record of signing big money free agents that haven't quite panned out. And everybody understands we're talking about Jeff Hamilton and Gary Matthews Jr. and Vernon Wells. Big money acquisitions have, for the most part, been poison for the system. It's cost the Angels prospect after prospect. And the Major League team only has one playoff appearance in the last seven years to show for it. Every time I hear Randall Gritchick's name, my whole body tightens up. I don't think the Angels need to have another Randall Gritchick get away from them. And that's it for this podcast. Next podcast, we'll run down the list of spring training stories that people seem to think are going to be really important, but we'll find the ones that are actually important. Until then, thanks for listening, and I'll talk to you soon.
Yeah, I don't think he's very high on Nate making, Smith either. I'm making your uh, yeah. He doesn't like Nate Smith either. 